Welcome to Radio Cachimbona. I'm Yvette, and this is episode 11. Radio Cachimbona is a podcast hosted by one Salvatorian. That's a Salvadorian tourist. Growing, healing, and storytelling in Southern Arizona. I'm here to storytell the fierce, ongoing resistance occurring in these borderlands and centering Central American voices. Hi everyone, I'm really excited today to have Tina, who's the founder of the Tohono O'odham Young Voices podcast. I am really excited to have you. Do you want to introduce yourself and share what you think is most important for folks to know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Skut Thash, Anyap Chugik, Valentina Bavages, Andrew, Akchen Amajud, Kchugaka Amajud, Habiki Chukshon Chut. Good day everyone, my name is Valentina and I come from the villages of uh, Okchin and Gakka on the Donald Nation, but I currently live here in Tucson, Arizona. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so I saw that in the your bio on, is it called Spreaker? Is that the yeah. Name? Okay. Yeah. I saw that it said, native from the Tohono Nation, I was inspired to create this podcast where I could have discussions with local natives active in their communities and share Odom topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What inspired you to start the podcast? So the podcast uh, came out in about the fall of 2016. Okay. And what inspired me was at the time I was like really passionate about border issues and I was wanting a, a different way or a different platform to get our voices out there because nobody was, I mean, there were people telling our story, but they were non authors Yeah. And they were outsiders and they were people from New York or whatever. They'd come all the way out here and spend time with Otham who are willing to talk about border stories. Mm-hmm. But the information that they would share, it wasn't the full stories. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know what? Let's 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 try this out. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I feel like it's unfortunate that people can come at it with mm-hmm. like a preset agenda. Yeah, for sure. And and that's what I learned after, you know, speaking with different journalists that want to come out and and thinking like, oh yeah, they got the story, and then the story comes out, and it's really not what you are thinking it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I I started the podcast back then and it was it was all about border issues for me that jump started this whole thing and I didn't really even have a plan or an idea about the podcast itself. I didn't even I didn't even think beyond anything more than just wanting to get this border story out there which at the time they were doing uh, they had the draft of the environmental assessment um, up before the integrated fixed towers that they were going to put along, or they are now, putting along the border on the nation. Can you explain what those are? So the integrated fixed towers are surveillance um, cameras. Um, the um, Homeland Security proposed that uh, to put up 15 of them along the border of stretch which is about 75 miles on the border of uh, mexico and the u.s but all of that 75 miles a stretch of that is the thawn Autumn nation mm-hmm. and they they constantly use the term permanently permanent permanent and that's all you've seen throughout the 
environmental assessment and then for us that us young ones that were against it and thought about our own futures that was that was worrisome for sure what were the predicted environmental impacts of the towers going to be so the the predicted impacts there there were a few um wildlife impacts you know like bird migration erosion to the land temporary um, air quality for when they're in construction Mm -hmm. sound what do you call it sound Sound pollution yeah sound Mm -hmm. pollution do you hear the towers at night i i heard i've heard people say that you you could but studies have shown that these towers do radiate radiation waves Yeah, so that was a big push that we talked about back then as far. And then, of course, um, not only there was a couple of, I think six or seven of them that um, straddled along the border, but then there were, uh, the the rest were actually coming into our lands onto a sacred mountain range. So it wasn't necess- it wasn't really going to be along the border. Some of them weren't, and that was mm-hmm. another issue that we had mm-hmm. um, with these towers. So the, what they call a virtual fence. And I helped this group, Thawne Autumn, Homochkum Rights Network, who I, I was a part of the group. I helped uh, put a brochure together on the towers and kind of share examples of past efforts of putting uh, together a virtual fence and all of them have failed and mm-hmm. billions of dollars have been lost mm-hmm. you know yeah and that was that was another another reason is to kind of spread awareness with with that it's wild how much money is invested in these things mm-hmm. um, like you said the research showed that they had tried to do the same thing before mm-hmm. and had expended so much money and wasted so much money really yeah. on that project mm-hmm. And I also think it's it's such an offense to the idea of native sovereignty to install these towers, I mean, anywhere on the reservation, but specifically on the sacred mountain range. That's mm-hmm. deeply, deeply disrespectful and, and a really terrible spiritual violation. Mm-hmm. I, already, I think I already know the answer to this question, but was CBP or ICE or the federal government involved in deciding to place those towers there? aware of the fact that that was a sacred mountain range they were they were they did make those decisions and what i learned from joshua garcia who i've actually done an episode with uh, specifically about the towers because he was actually on foot and in the communities so he had a better grasp on the the topic than i had but um he had shared with me that you know when so for for us you know we don't really have boundaries when it comes to sacred areas okay of course when you're talking with uh, somebody you know when it comes to i don't know those kind of things setting boundaries and things like that they kind of predicted well there's so many feet if if as long as we're not in these areas we are able to bypass and still place them, but they're still pretty close. Yeah. So even for Autumn, I, I had learned that it was, it, we, I guess for us, it wasn't a strong enough argument for them to really think, okay, well, there's no real boundaries here. 
you know, so we'll just make these boundaries, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it was kind of treated that way. Okay. Yeah. And apart from the towers, what were other things that you noticed that changed kind of like post 9-11 or mm. um, I guess even in the more recent years of ramping up of border militarization? So I, I had um, I had posted um, on, on the podcast Facebook page, I, I did a post a few weeks back and it, it was about an article that um, shares the, 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 the recent, um, our past um, chairman, um, Verlin Jose, he did a, an interview and he, that article was all about the towers and, and them negotiating the past five years and how it went through and it got passed. And now it's really going to happen. And after seeing that, I was like, wow. And that was like my first caption of my post when I shared that article was like, wow, it's really going to happen. They're really mm -hmm. going to do this. For, for a long time, you know, you feel so passionate about something and you, and you do your best and you want to spread this awareness. And for me, since 2012 is kind of when I started to get really heavily involved in, mm -hmm. in border stuff. I, in that post, I talk about how it had been, I think, 21 or 20-something 20 years. And I kind of share about how I remember when I was just a preteen, 13 years old, and life was, wasn't as bad as it is now. Militarization mm -hmm. wasn't. It didn't really, it didn't exist. And, mm -hmm. you know, checkpoints didn't exist. And I've seen the changes throughout the years and the limitations and just it's just really sad you know mm -hmm. and one thing that I learned and I've heard other Otham express is that the young generation today my own nieces and nephews will um, grow up knowing Border Patrol they'll never truly experience what we got to experience as kids wow. you know and that's heavy yeah and and it's just it's just uh, uh, the changes are, are evident you know, I I, I grew up, I was born here in Tucson, but I, I grew up mainly on the reservation as a child, and I was about in high school when my family moved to Tucson, but always still going back and recognizing those changes and experiencing those changes firsthand myself have been pretty detrimental, and they've done, it's done more harm, if anything, mm -hmm. you know, than, than fixing and there's just so much layers to these border issues, especially from a community level. And I think that, that the topic I feel like needs to be talked about more, especially in the author community, is where are our resources when it comes to us dealing with mental health, physical health? You know, where are those resources when we have to deal with the traumas from the checkpoint or mm -hmm. being harassed? Mm -hmm. We don't have those resources. Mm -hmm. There are families, fathers and their kids, parents and their kids, grandmothers, even myself. It does weigh in on you. You, yeah. you, 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 you have an experience that is new and you don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And you can't even turn to your own tribe. I mean, yes, there are resources, but I just feel like we could do better. And it's been so so long that the term checkpoint trauma is just is a new term, you know, and that's is what floats around in the Autumn community as more Autumn are being outspoken mm -hmm. and being active themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Can you go into more of what people are talking about when they say checkpoint trauma? Um, I had Nellie on the podcast talked about mm-hmm. how she and other folks that she knows experience harassment at the interior checkpoints on the reservation mm-hmm. and you know being arbitrarily detained and questioned yeah so is that kind of what people are speaking to yeah people you know the the harassment is is the biggest is the biggest thing being wrongfully accused and targeted is is a big thing and those traumas when you have an experience like my own personal experiences have been uh, and I, I've heard Nellie talk about her past experience and it's the same experience I got mm-hmm. pulled over there were seven of them that came there was a chopper that was above me I mean I had had those experiences before like guns pointed at you and everything but the chopper was a new experience for yeah. me I was like that was just another layer of militarization mm-hmm. and and the, ex- the excuses that they give you for doing these things to you are, are absolutely ridiculous. You, you, you don't understand. It's just ridiculous to you, but, you know, they're, they're, they want to, you know, instill fear and yeah. um, intimidation mm-hmm. amongst the people. And, it, you know, more, I feel like more often have exercised their rights or starting to exercise their rights more. But there are still those often who, you know, again, it's a new experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're being pulled over in secondary, you know, I've heard stories where if you choose to exercise your rights, you, that means then you're just giving them a hard time to them. Right, right. You know, and, and they retaliate. They, mm-hmm, they retaliate. Mm-hmm. And so this one story I heard of a young girl, she did the same thing. She was trying to just you know ask questions and and you know should not cause trouble but you mm-hmm. know people we get tired of it her experience was so bad but i'm sure other authors have experienced it where they gave her a hard time put her into secondary harassed her whatever they did they let her go and this one bp agent who recognized her every time she came through wow. he recognized her and he just sent her straight to secondary mm-hmm. just because he could right and and that just like that that's like mind games you know Mm -hmm. it's just those are the types of traumas you know little kids that see their parents have to deal with these things or go through these things with bp grandmas and grandmothers or grandfathers you know like my grandma a big thing they do especially at night is like they'll pull right up behind you and they'll go and you're driving and they have their lights on really bright. And then another recent experience, my mom and my brother, I was out there on the res and they went to town to get food and stuff and they came back and a border patrol agent looked at, as they went through the checkpoint coming back into the nation on the north um, side of the nation, my brother, I guess, kind of seen this, noticed a BP agent looking at him some type of way and. I don't know, there was just an exchange of looks, and that's all it was. And so they went on their way as they sped up. This BP didn't like that, I guess, and he caught up to them, got right behind him, went on the side, drove on the side of them for a while, and they they didn't know what to do in that situation. Like, you, you nobody says, oh, when this happens to you, you need to do this. Yeah. You know, we're not told Well, it's arbitrary to, behavior based on his yeah. mood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to predict and know how to react to that. Exactly. So. And they have guns. So. Yeah. 
I mean, we're our hands are tied. It feels like mm-hmm. you know what? What can we do? Yeah. So it creates a lot of mental abuse, and especially when they you know they do choose to get physical and things like that, or they wrongfully accuse you. I have a sibling who was wrongfully accused, and she went to prison. You you get taken away from your kids, and that was a hard. That was really hard mm-hmm. on the family, mm-hmm. especially the kids. You know, they, they ask you, you know, they tell you, I miss mom, I miss my mom. And it's like, what do you tell that? What do you say to a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows, we all know militarization's increasing and it's not going to stop anytime soon. So when are we going to begin to start to deal with the trauma now, mm-hmm. you know? So do you feel like the presence of Border Patrol also leads to more arrests? Because you said that your sister was wrongfully accused. So apart from harassment, do you think that that heavier policing presence leads to the folks on the reservation just being more closely surveilled? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe it. I mean, there. I'm sure... They, they listen or they watch, you know, there have been some of them who've, who've come across on their own land or property, who've come across wildlife cameras um, that were placed by Border Patrol agents and they don't know why they're placed there. Mm-hmm. People don't even know why they're watching them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. So I'm assuming that the cameras are placed there without folks' permission. Yeah. Is that is that also what happened with the interior checkpoints and the towers, or or was there some type of negotiation process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, going through with with depending if they're in a district uh, on the reservation. I don't know if Nelly talked about the districts. No. So the nation is separated uh, into eleven districts, and each district represents multiple communities. And they're kind of their own entity. So, like the di- the one that is the checkpoint that is in the north boundary of the nation, is in uh, the Sefoyek district. So they have they have to negotiate and and approach the community and the nation and say this is what we would like to do this and that, and it's up to the nation to agree to five year lease or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, after hearing or even seeing seeing some of the resolutions, like there was this one of the canopy, the huge canopy that they wanted to do in at that specific checkpoint. But I guess I could also kind of see like why. I mean, their argument is like to, you know, the continuation of uh, you know this checkpoint having it and not having to stop. If for because of weather or something like that, I mean that you can't. I don't know how you would argue that. You know, it's like, <laughs> and maybe that's how community members or community representatives felt like. There's, I can't argue with this. So, I mean, it seems valid to me. So we'll go ahead and pass it. You know. What exactly seemed valid? Uh, I guess just the reasoning for wanting the canopy. And it's like just a huge structure, kind of like, you know, where when you're going to Nogales, uh-huh. I don't know, and, and there's that huge structure. I don't think I've seen that, actually. <clears throat> yeah, it's when you're coming back. Okay. 
but yeah, there it's just you know like securing um, continuation with their duties and what they're there to do. So there's no interruption if there is you know weather conditions, severe weather conditions. They need to just monitor the checkpoint 24/7, and if they if they have to shut it down because of weather conditions, there might be a possibility of somebody going free with migrants or or drugs or something like that. So the canopy is where. Border Patrol goes if there's bad weather and they need like well the canopy is, is checkpoint oh it's a checkpoint for yeah me. yeah so the other there's another one here on, on 86 another checkpoint but that's not on the nation's boundaries it's actually off of the nation's boundaries and my theory is that that's if they if these guys could and it was maybe if it was easier for them to go through that process to get a canopy maybe they could have gotten one, but because maybe because it's not on the nation, it makes the process harder for them. That's why they don't have one. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my theory. <laughs> the what is like the varying district leaders' stance on cooperating with Border Patrol to apprehend migrants? Previous uh, ones that I had been familiar with was so the the two districts that are in the locations where those towers will be. There was one district that was absolutely for the towers, and then there's the other district that's absolutely against the towers. So there was all that as part of this whole surveillance tower proposal that these two districts are in disagreement about that. Uh, But unfortunately, the one that had been against it and everything had had community members, their own representatives expressed wholeheartedly how much they were against it and they still went against them. So recently I heard through the grapevine and the res, um, this was maybe like two weeks ago, I heard that the tribal leaders went to that district, of all district that was against the towers and kind of told them this is what's proposed to happen. We'd like to hear what you guys think, what are your concerns? And that entire meeting, everybody shared what their concerns were and everything, only to disappoint them because at the end of the meeting they said, well, thank you for sharing, but you know, we've already made the decision. The towers are gonna happen and we're sorry. And that just leads to frustration for community members. Mm -hmm. Why would you put us through all this only to tell us this? Why not just be upfront about it? What, how did they explain that decision? I'm not really sure how they explained it. Uh, That's just what I had heard from someone who was at that meeting. So would you say that district leaders are more complicit in in the CBP stuff and that like there's more community members who are against it, but district leaders are the ones making those decisions? Yeah, yeah. Why is that? It's just, it's just how the nation, you know, their adapted government and who did they adapt the government you know, structure is from the United States government structure. So it's just uh, the hierarchy kind of thing, you know, and, and, and there, I'm, there are, I'm sure there are a lot of some tribal leaders who are, who are very supportive of their own community members, but then there are those tribal members who, who have who do have their own agendas and do feel strongly about what they feel is right, and and especially like this past the past uh, 
tribal uh, chairman, you know, he expressed how this is what the nation wants and we, the Otham, want the surveillance towers and this and that. And it's like, not all Otham feel that way, you know. And I've heard many, many stories for Otham who are for the towers and even for the wall, but from Otham who are completely against the towers and the wall, you know, so... What is the reasoning behind the autumn folks who are for the wall and who are for the towers? So they, they've they definitely had some really tragic experiences, unfortunately, through with cartel threatening their family okay. or even taking a family member's life. I see. I yeah, see. so they have definitely valid reasons. Yeah. So there's also a, car- a Mexican cartel presence on the rest. Yeah. Okay, well. Yeah, the, and you, you see it all the time uh, online in the articles, in the documentaries. There's so much out there now, and it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, I actually didn't know that they were operating on the northern side of the border, though. That's new Yeah, they are. Yeah. They do. I mean, I guess it makes sense because they traffic things into mm-hmm. the U.S., but mm-hmm. I just hadn't heard that perspective. Yeah, definitely. Do you know what's next for the podcast? So right now, um, you know, I've been so busy (laughs) that the podcast I feel is is will continue to do what it has been doing, which is sharing autumn stories sharing autumn perspectives, whether it's through politics, music, events, cultural, you know, traditions, things like that. I just think that it will continue to do that. Um, in the meantime, I, I will continue to, to do those things, you know, host the podcast. I recently started getting into doing like podcasting workshop, introduction to podcasting yeah. with the native communities. Yeah. yeah. And I've expanded the podcast to the local radio station, you know, KXCI Community That's Radio. So cool. oh my yeah. Gosh. So um, I've actually changed the the name um, as I chose mm. to expand and called it Cultivating Indigenous Voices because there I definitely wanted to focus not just on Autumn but on all Indigenous voices, and that's why I wanted to change the name or give it a different name there. Yeah. yeah so just continuing to utilize it for for ourselves really mm-hmm. you know capturing those stories and 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 sharing them with online listeners pretty much <laughs> yeah i love that it's like digital oral history yeah yeah definitely what projects have you started with the cultivating indigenous voices so you know i'm actually i'm i have a really cool project right now and it's my first time doing a storytelling episode oh my god i'm yes. so proud of you i want to do that you. too yeah that's one yes. of my goals too wow that's cool <laughs> and i was inspired by a snap judgment podcast do you listen to snap judgment i listened to it before like once or twice it's yeah. crazy <laughs> <laughs> but i was inspired by that because you know they they actually they they actually have the actual people sharing these stories yeah and the sound effects and the background sounds and you know noises i just it like you can picture everything mm-hmm. so that's my goal for this project i'm working with a young awesome woman who recently finished her draft of her first book called journey to the heart of the desert and she's half african-american and half on autumn and she just tells the story of her grandmother Esther 
um, who's African-American and grew up in Harlem and tells her story and her journey of how she came and worked um, for the Thona Autumn oh, wow. back in the 40s. Oh, wow. And met a, a Thona Autumn man and oh. married him and had kids. I mean, it's just an extraordinary story. Yeah. It's insane. Like, I really loved that book. I, I read it and finished it in two days and have just been talking about it and really wanted to capture it storytelling. So, yeah. Uh, we're not telling like the whole story, but she's just kind of reading parts of the book. And oh, cool. so, we're doing a two part to that. And I finished editing the audio and then I'm going to go and re record it, adding the sound effects. That's awesome. Yeah. Is the book published? It's not. Okay. Yeah, so I know she's. that's definitely what she wants to do. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, I also have to publicize her work on a podcast, too, because yeah. that needs to get published. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, right? <laughs> see. Is there anything else that you feel like is important to cover about border issues and the reservation? I just think that getting rid of the labels and not not recognizing or labeling us all as criminals or that we're all drug dealers and smugglers and all that stuff. There's just so much of that. Mm-hmm. And especially for the, I, what really gets me is people that live up north or live another part of the states or the country and nobody if you don't live in a border town Mm -hmm. or a border community you have absolutely no right to speak on it that's true and that's one thing that i just always want to express is that if you don't have those experiences or not tied to it in any way you know your comments and opinions you know are i'm just going to disregard or do get disregarded (laughs) as you should they're meaningless Mm -hmm. so i guess just kind of recognizing that we, we're, we're people that exist in a, in a really unfortunate situation and are yeah. we all we're trying to do is, is continue our way of life mm-hmm. but unfortunately the disruption of all this and also recognizing that even though the drugs are coming through those areas and yes there are some autumn who do participate in that but the if you want to look at the bigger picture until america kicks its drug habit these drugs will continue to come in if that's the bigger picture you know because they're not we're not keeping the drugs there you know (laughs) they're going they're going all over in the you know throughout the united states you know what i mean most drugs are trafficked actually through the ports of entry anyway and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what makes border militarization really tragic is that Mm -hmm. and and also it's not the full story right yeah because it's not just about keeping drugs out Mm -hmm. because if it was they're they wouldn't be going through the ports of entry successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, True. Yeah, you know, the border militarization is about keeping certain undesired migrants out. And I think also ex- exerting power and authority over the mm-hmm. Tonolog nation mm-hmm. and, and invading sovereignty. Yeah. Especially, you know, that story that you told about the border patrol agent who continually harasses Mm-hmm. your friend mm-hmm. that person knows that that person's a tribal member mm-hmm. the board that border patrol agent knows that that woman is a tribal member they know mm-hmm. they know they know that they're not someone who's undocumented trying to go through mm-hmm. so what is that harassment about mm-hmm. it's just yeah. and i really appreciate what you said because 
the hysteria of people who don't live at the border, yeah. their fears of migrants when they don't live near the border yeah. are what fuel these policies. And then who needs to live with them? It's not those mm-hmm. folks, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's you all. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's not like, again, the labeling, even with what America believes or says is the majority are you know all these bad names coming through and that's not the case neither i've had situations where there was a mother and a daughter and seeking shelter or food or you know things like that mm-hmm. you know those mm-hmm. those are innocent situations but they're also very real and i just don't like when people treat it like it's it's unreal or whatever you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, like people are truly seeking asylum. Like mothers yeah. and children are truly seeking asylum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, truly engaging in this arduous journey and like yeah. actually need food and water mm-hmm. to live. Exactly. To continue on to the next day. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think those are all the questions. Yeah, those were the questions that I wanted to ask. So, unless you want to okay. add anything else. Um, I think we can wrap up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I just want to thank you for having me and sharing, you know, my thoughts and opinions, experiences about this overall border issue as a tribal member. Um, And thank you for sharing so many other stories. I think what you're doing is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. Bye, y'all.